from Appalachia and being a minority head coach are, are two things that are coming up. I certainly had to not only be aware of that I had to fight that battle, but, you know, always proactive in, in trying to overcome that. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. All right, Neil, here we are, episode four of Appalachia Meets World. Yeah, it's uh can't believe we've made it this far. I guess there's a couple people listening, so we'll we'll keep diving in. It's actually been really interesting so far, so I'm pretty stoked about it, to be honest. I'm on full board. It, it makes our time together more fun. We, we add somebody else in the mix and talk about interesting stuff. It, yeah, I can't remember the last time I talked to you on a weekly basis. <laughs> I know, it's been a minute. Probably, well, I was going to say when I was in college, but probably not even then. Yeah, you were traveling the world. You were backpacking through Europe or something. <laughs> Man, uh, I got a question for you. What's that? Where are you from? Born and bred, never left. London. You got any news? Anything you want to talk about Appalachia related? Uh, you know, I don't know if this is done in big cities or not. So I went to the grand opening of a bank today in town, which was pretty unique. And, you know, we're we're not too far past post-COVID era in our life. And uh, there was probably 200 people there. And I, I was expecting like 30. And there was probably 200 there. Nobody had a mask on. Nobody was worried about shaking hands. Uh, it was pretty awesome in my world. I was I was glad to see it. So I'm uh, pretty sure COVID has left Appalachia, and uh, we're no longer worried about it down here. But the bank grand opening, I don't know. If, there's probably not a whole lot of new bank locations. And I, I say that. I'm sure there is. You just don't hear about it. In small town, it's kind of magnified, I guess, a little bit. But lots of people out and about today at that. Yeah, 200 people. That's like that's like having a brand new Taco Bell or something. <laughs> yeah, it was brand new uh, Chick-fil-A. Can you imagine Chick-fil-A? Oh, speaking of mine Chick- for days. Chick-fil-A for the last month has brought a a, a food truck to London. A, literally a food truck. Really? I didn't London. know like a pop-up that, shop for a Chick-fil-A. Y- yes. And they set up in the tractor supply parking lot. You know what that means? and they're, they're coming i don't think it's so. coming I, well when i tell you what i'm about to tell you so people were going to visit this truck and waiting two hours for their chick-fil-a like wait okay wait, not even like from the restaurant no from a food, food. truck <laughs> a pop-up chick-fil-a food truck like i mean i know it, i know where i'm at but my goodness we've eaten chick-fil-a before it's not like it's new science Heck, I could have gotten in my car and drove to Somerset and ordered Chick-fil-A, those got pickles, it, brought it back pickles, home. Those pickles are pretty good, though. Oh, my gosh. Give me a break. <laughs> you know you know how I feel about this. <laughs> Most overrated place in the history of the world. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Hey, they got great customer service. I'll give them that. The product is, man, I know everybody listening is going to be like, yeah, what a hater. But, you know, it's. <laughs> It is what it is. Speak the truth. That's right. So, yeah, pop-up Chick-fil-A showing up in, 
in London, Kentucky, twice in a month. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I've never never seen that. I didn't know they had food trucks like that. Yeah, it's you know I'm sure you have dozens of food trucks in in up where you're at. Yeah, but they're local, like you know, local people try not people that have restaurants. Yeah, it's just, it's just now becoming a thing in in uh, Appalachia. You know, all small towns are trying to bring in food trucks, and I'm sure some of the local people that have actual sit down restaurants are not too happy about it, but you know, their, their incentives and things like that are a little bit, a little bit different. I mean, well, do, you, do y'all have, aside from Chick, apparently Chick-fil-A food truck, which I've never heard of, do y'all have local food trucks? Do you have food trucks at all? Uh, um, do, you, do you have permits? Like can food trucks? Yeah, there's, there's, there's like two, there's like two right now. Downtown? Yeah. And there's like traveling ones. Actually, there was a, there was a concert downtown at a new venue next to the old, where London Elementary is. You probably haven't seen it, but it's a nice, beautiful area and they have a stage and they had a live music concert there Friday night. And I, I drove by early. They had like six food trucks set up, but they came in from outside of here, you know, came in just for that event. Sure, yeah, yeah. I can but I mean, know, they do that, they do that here too. I mean, obviously, food trucks are not a new thing here. So, it's yeah, not but, a new thing in big cities, but they do, they come from all around. Do they charge them property tax? No. Yeah, that's fair. They charge a property tax in London? On no. A food, on a food no, but, but my point is so the food truck only is there like, for a few hours. It's not food like truck is like the girl you meet on vacation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, you go to the beach as a teenager. And, and, you know, you meet the girl on vacation and you give her your number and, and then you come home and, and she never calls, she never calls, (laughs) she, she never checks in. Yeah. She doesn't even know you exist anymore. Right. So you don't have to tax her. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I don't know how I feel about food trucks, but you know, they're popular right now. Well, I think they're awesome. I think it gives a (laughs) more, a, a local, person local entrepreneur that want that can't afford a brick and mortar gives them an opportunity to you know test out try out what you know what they do yeah i'm all for if it's a local i don't like the ones that come in out of town and take our money and leave you know i'd rather a local person do it but at the same time local people got to pay the taxes or whatever they charge i just want to make sure it's on the up and up you know i'm yeah i'm on about non-extraction especially in appalachia We've been extracted enough. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure we, you know, we, we keep some of it here. But you're not going to be able to charge property tax. I'll just go ahead and tell you that right now. Yeah, I know. I, I, like we have one food truck that's set up on a piece. Well, of they have property. to get permits. So they're paying, they're, they're paying for the permit. Yeah. But it, you know, it's not the same rate as a property tax. I mean, I say that to you who lives in the part of the country that's the highest property tax in America. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, think about the small business owner here that has a brick and mortar, has an acre lot, and, you know, they spend millions to put a restaurant in and, and they're paying thousands of dollars annually in, in property tax. And then their daily sales is takes a huge hit on the weekend that the taco truck from mississippi comes in and just it's not, yeah it's not a new complaint they yeah. about it in big cities too especially when food trucks started coming in but it's kind of like the little mom and pop that's next to the starbucks i, I read an article once that uh 
smaller coffee shops that are most successful are the ones that are besides Starbucks. Because Starbucks gets all the foot traffic. And when people figure out that Starbucks is way overpriced, they start going next door to the local (laughs) mom and pop shop. Reminds me of, you know, we got a couple of local coffee shops here now. That are downtown. Yeah, seem to be doing pretty well. And talk to some local businesses around, not not just in London, but around Appalachia. Kind of compare them to local businesses outside. Yeah, I just don't know any outside. Do you know any? I think I could work on that. <laughs> well, I got something to uh, talk about. It's not relevant to our current conversation, but it is relevant to our upcoming guest. I saw today that they announced the Um, because this is kind of part two of our sports talk last last week we talked to Dudley Hilton Uh, this week we're going to talk to Richie Riley the rising star in the head coaching division one basketball ranks but what I wanted to mention about where I'm from or some Appalachian news Tim Couch is again on the college hall of fame ballot just announced today I was reading through it uh-huh. As soon as you're you're as soon as you're out ten years, then you can potentially be on the ballot. But you have to have been like an All American has all these criteria. But have yeah, you I'm still waiting ballot? on my ballot. Have you? Yeah, right. <laughs> have you ever looked at the ballot? No. I mean, there are some all the criteria on there that have oh, never, oh. that have never made it. Like only I read only point zero two percent D one college players ever make it. Point really? zero two percent are in the Hall of Fame. It's only like thirteen hundred ex players are in the College Hall of Fame. So wow, like yeah, yeah, it's pretty incredible. So he's been on the ballot now. Let's see, he's been out twenty years. So this is like mm-hmm. his tenth time on the ballot. He still hasn't made it. But you should see the other names on it. Like just all these incredible players from the past that have never that still aren't in the Hall of Fame. Wow. Hmm. So I just thought I'd bring up the. The local small town hero, Tim Couch of, of Appalachia. Yeah, I mean, how's a guy who, you know, grows up in the mountains and makes it big time? He's the number one pick in the NFL draft, had an incredible college career. How's he not in the College Football Hall of Fame? I mean, I guess he didn't win a national championship or anything like that, but he did kind of turn the program around at the University of Kentucky single-handedly. So, yeah. He was Leslie there. County. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you want to talk uh, about our upcoming guests? I know I mentioned Richie, but, but. yeah, yeah. Um, you you said earlier, rising star. There's not a there's not a better way to describe him. You know, I'm super proud of him. Just from you know, we grew up together. I've known him basically our whole lives, and you know, would I would I ever thought that he would reach the level that he's at now when we were in high school and he was stealing all my shots? No. <laughs> but you know he's he's really really done an incredible job of not only marketing himself but just hanging in there and doing whatever it takes to take you know his dreams and make them into reality um, yeah, and it's, he, he I mean, sacrificed a lot he's yeah but it's not just that i mean he's winning he's turning pro- yeah. programs around everywhere he's going oh yeah Pretty absolutely incredible. i mean he has a plan he has a he has certainly has the knowledge and, and he's learned over the years. And, you know, if I think about what other job would Richie Riley be doing if, if he wasn't coaching basketball? And I, I just don't know. I mean, sometimes in life people do things that 
they don't necessarily love or it doesn't necessarily fit them, but coaching basketball fits him so well that I can't tell you, like, I have no idea what he would be doing if, if he wasn't coaching basketball and he's, you know, a kid with a dream from Kentucky and he, he made that dream happen. And I, you know, it's, it's still going too. you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds for him too. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. I'm looking forward to the interview, but we didn't have really have him on here because of his tremendous success or because of, I mean, that's part of it. Uh, we didn't really have him on here because it's a sports show. This is definitely not a sports show. You know, we, we kind of ground ourselves on place and perspective and kind of the reason we had him on here is because he's in, not to mention he's a, you know, great head coach. He's an incredible recruiter. And it kind of came up in our last episode with coach Hilton about, you know, people in the mountains sometimes get overlooked or mm-hmm. under publicized. And we, we just kind of wanted to bring Richie on here to get his take on that point of, you know, yes. he's, rec- he's recruited all over the country mm-hmm. and he's coached in Appalachia. He's coached outside Appalachia. He's from Appalachia. He's been recruited himself and he has recruited inside and outside of the region. We just kind of want to get his perspective to see what he thinks about the recruiting process, what he thinks about Appalachia, Appalachians, Appalachian athletes. Yeah, there's not a better person uh, for us to get their perspective on on everything you just said. So um, I'm super excited to, to talk to him. You know, he's an old friend and I still stay in touch with him when I can. Don't don't get to see him as much as I would like. He came in, uh, I guess it's been a couple of years now. We always do a big fourth of july party and he happened to be home at the time and he came over and brought his wife and his two boys at the time he's got three now but you know that's it, the last time we spent a significant amount of time around each other and he's still the same guy he's you know and i know when we get him on here and in here in a few minutes and you hear him talk he's he's not going to sound the same as i do for sure he, he might sound a little bit more like you because he's a little bit been around the world a little bit but uh, once he's back here at home, you know, he's just like my old high school teammate again. It's uh, it's fun to see somebody like that have such success. And I'm so, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm super proud to know him and proud of, of what he's done so far. So I'm excited to talk to him. Yeah. I follow him a little bit. I followed him because, you know, I'm, I'm interested. I always like to see Appalachians succeed. One, one article that I, I read last year that kind of blew my mind when I read it was from, KSR or yeah. So if the listeners don't know Kentucky sports radio, it it listed potential up and coming coaches that could potentially land at Kentucky someday. And uh, his name was on the list. Yeah. We got to ask him about that. You know, I I love to hear his take. on. Well, let's find out. Let's, let's get him on here and uh, let's get this started. Sounds good. On the show tonight, we have Richie Riley. He is truly a rising star. Anything you read about him, that's what they say. He's a right. I'm not just saying it, but he's a rising star among the Division One basketball head coaches. The last three seasons, he's been at the University of Southern Alabama, where he's the head coach. And when he was hired, he was only the 10th head coach of all time. He's been the finalist for the Ben Job Award, which is the top NCAA Division One minority coach in the country. He's also ranked just recently 16th on ESPN 40 under 40. 
he's had a pretty to be as young as he is he's had an incredible career he but prior to uh, USA he was at Nichols for two years then he's had an assistant coaching stance at Clemson University of Alabama at Birmingham Eastern Kentucky University Coastal Carolina and then outside of D1 he was at Georgetown College Hawaii Pacific and Pikeville College so that's a pretty lengthy uh, resume for a young head coach that you are but one thing that I did want to mention in all those assistant coaching stints Anything you read about about Richie, it mentions and highlights his high-level recruiting efforts. He's an amazing recruiter and has led all the teams that he's been on to uh, winning records and turn programs around after being there. So, Richie, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. We just wanted to say that before we kick it off. Yeah, it's great to be on. I appreciate you guys taking the time to to bring me on. Um, I grew up with Neil – He's a year older than me, and I grew up watching watching Will play, and used to look up to him. He was a running back, and loved, loved watching him. And then, then obviously, Niels had his success in football too. He was a pretty good hooper too. And, yeah, it seems uh, like so. It's an honor to be on with you guys from London. Doesn't seem like too long ago I was coaching you and Neil at the summer camp in London. <laughs> it was a lot. Long, it was a lot longer than you're giving us credit well, it, for. It, it only was, seems like two or three years old, ago. Man. <laughs> well one thing we always kick the show off we always ask every guest this is a podcast really about place and perspective as Appalachians big on tradition big on history our family is also big on tradition and, and one tradition that we have we, we uh, go all out on appetizers over the holidays full table just big spread of appetizers we wanted to ask you what's your favorite appetizer or favorite dish over the holidays do you have one uh, you know, where I've lived has changed my perspective a lot on different things. And, um, I have had a lot of different cultures that, that I've eaten. So I, I've fell in love with any type of seafood because I've been down here in South Louisiana and now I'm in Mobile, Alabama. So anything with seafood, I really love, you know, I, obviously we all have stuff that our family cooks and things like that, but I've, I, I'm a lover of crawfish, any type of shrimp. You know, any seafood, because when you live down here, it's close to the water. You kind of just, it's it, it's made different down here. I think everywhere in the country, it makes things different. So I, I fell in love with that. So you, you can win me over with any type of seafood. It could be crab dip, anything oh, anything you got. Yeah. yeah believe it or not, <clears throat> believe it or not, my favorite seafood too during the holidays. And our uncle Scott, who's the mayor in uh, Pineville, Kentucky, he always brings shrimp cocktail. And you know, we don't live close to the water. It might be out of Laurel Lake. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good every year. <laughs> well, one question I did want to ask you, Richie, just kind of kick it off. I read on your bio it talked about us this past summer. You did a 360 mentoring uh, coaching town hall. One of the things they talked about in there was over, overcoming challenges and, and stigmas. And you can talk about the 360 meeting town hall but to that point of overcoming challenges and stigma you're a minority coach and and I'm assuming that's kind of what what the focus was but you're also from Appalachia is that a stigma that you've also encountered in the in the coaching circle or just in college or or leaving uh, Appalachia and, and all the places you've been yeah coming up through coaching I think it's certainly I was an outlier it's it's very different now that I'm a head coach not so much but coming up you know, a lot of guys have a major area they can pull from when it comes to recruiting, 
whether they're from Chicago or Baltimore or Los Angeles or wherever, where it's rich in talent, there's a lot of them. And I didn't have that. I grew up in London, Kentucky, and I wasn't a good player. You know, I was a walk on East Kentucky for a year. I had to kind of find my own niche when it came to recruiting because I didn't have that background of just guys in my backyard, you know. So I've, I've always worked really hard at building relationships all across the country. I think that's why we've had some success being able to get some really good players. The, the town hall thing we did was really cool. It was me and Shaka, uh, Shaka Smart, who's the head coach at Marquette, Jamie Christian from George Washington, and Mike Boyton from Oklahoma State. It was We were all on one panel. I think, I think the other stigma about minority head coaches is that we're just recruiters. You know, that was something that we talked about on there a lot is, you know, whether you like it or you don't like it, that's the way the profession looks at people. And, and I said on there, some of the best tacticians in the country are black head coaches, period. And some of the best recruiters in the country are, are white guys. Like it's not, and somehow in our profession, that's became a thing where people look at guys and they decide what their skill set is based on the color of their skin. And that, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with anything. And it's really, it's, it's hard both ways. I talk about that a lot. It's hard. You know, one thing as a young coach, I always tried to do, I didn't demand from my boss because obviously he was my boss, but I, I really pushed the envelope to be able to coach, to be able to do scouts, to be able to be on the floor and, and really coach because I wanted to be a head coach. And I knew if I got that label as just a recruiter, it was going to be that much harder. And I, and I fought and to be able to do that and to prove that I could do that where some guys don't have to prove that they have to, you know, they got to prove that they can recruit where I never had to prove that. So there, there are certainly stigmas. It's um, it's becoming better though. I will say that it's becoming a lot better. Um, we saw a lot more minority head coaching hires this off season, more than we've had ever since I've been coaching, I think ever in probably the history of college basketball. So it is trending in a much better direction, but yeah, being from Appalachia and being a minority head coach are, are two things that, you know, coming up, I certainly had to not only be aware of that I had to fight that battle, but, you know, always proactive in, in trying to overcome that. Yeah, it's something I was always curious about. And, and to the point of recruiting, you've recruited all, you know, all over the country, obviously, and you're a talented recruiter, especially in, in D1. Do you ever recruit? I know you've coached at Pikeville College. You've coached in the mountains. But now that you're outside of Appalachia, do you ever do you ever even consider going back to Appalachia to recruit? Do you follow the talent? Is the talent not there? Like from a recruiting perspective, do people even look in the mountains? Uh, or is it just one of those things that we get overlooked for everything else? Uh, athletics isn't just one more thing we get overlooked no, we certainly do. We, we're certainly really aware of, of who can play when it comes to those regions of, you know, 12 through 16 in Kentucky. You know, that's kind of the mountains. Um, so we're, we're aware of those, and, and we do actively recruit those guys. Um, we've, I'm not allowed to talk about who we're recruiting on here, but we do have a few offers out in the mountains right now. I know you've recruited at a lot of different locations. You've recruited while you were at Eastern Kentucky, while, maybe while you were at, at Georgetown when you got your start. But would you say your approach is different when recruiting a kid in inside Appalachia versus a kid that's, you know, maybe grown up in Florida or Colorado? I mean, w how would you say those those differ? Yeah, I think it's really different. But, but I will say this. I think anywhere that you recruit, 
Um, I think that's one of the things that has helped me be successful as a college basketball coach and especially recruiting is, you know, we recruit them all differently. It's based on figuring out who the kid is, where he comes from, his background, and really getting to know him. And a lot of times, you guys know this, being from there and, and me too, a kid from the mountains of Kentucky is is going to be have seen and been up brought up differently than a kid from Baltimore, Maryland. So, so yeah, I think, I think so, you know, and it's all about building that relationship with them and, you know, what makes them tick, you know, and, and a kid, again, you got to find out their interest, a kid from a kid from the mountains of Kentucky, you may like to hunt and fish and you may like to, you know, do things like that versus, you know, a kid from somewhere else might not like that stuff. So, yeah, I think your approach is a little bit different, but I think you still, for me anyway, we have the same approach when we go in in regards to saying who we are and what our program's about and the things that can make you successful here and the things that we can help you be better at. Uh, I think all those things are the same. You know, we don't we don't really the standard is the standard for us. But yeah, forming that relationship, I, I think it's certainly different. I'm kind of hearing we all, even though you know we may have different cultures, in the end, you know, we're all people. Uh, we're, we're all, we're not all that different to that point. You know, I, I've noticed you kind of lost your accent a little bit. You, you talking about now you love seafood. Do you still, do you still connect to Appalachia? I know you have strong family ties in London still. I told Neil on previous episodes, once I got out of Appalachia, it just made me appreciate Appalachia even more, but do you still connect with Appalachia and do you feel like you're still an Appalachian? Yeah, I do. I've, I'm a, I'm a proud Kentuckian. I'm proud to be from London, Kentucky. I, I tell everybody that no, most people haven't heard of London, Kentucky. Obviously, I, I the way I explain it all the time is it's an hour, hour down I seventy five, south of Lexington and north of Knoxville, Tennessee. And then you the, just talk about KFC. <laughs> yeah, everybody does know that. It's funny. <laughs> and I, I love that you said that about my accent because my dudes, you know, that we recruit and I coach every day. They always they. When, when I allow them to, we do a little fun activity where they impersonate me and I, they make me sound even more country. So they're, they're always <laughs> on about how I sound and some of the words I use. I can't imagine if they're on here listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got you guys are still, you know, you sound a little bit, especially you. You, you sound hey, a little bit more. Well, you, you know, you're talking to the guy that never left. You know, <laughs> I, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but my, my favorite story to tell my kids is, you know, I was in the huddle in college telling guys the plays, and it, it took us a little extra time in the huddle because they were looking at me like, what? What did you just say? <laughs> they need an interpreter. Yeah, it's, it is. It's it's a different, you know, it's a different way. to. And, and, again, I've been all these places. Like, I lived in Cajun country for two years, and the, their accent and the words they use is so much different. And it's mm-hmm. And it's the same thing where we're from. I mean, it's – you sound different every, every, every part of the world. And especially when you, when you come with a, a country accent, it's just, just something about it. People, it's hard for people to understand. I know you, re- you recruit kids all the time, but in, in your job, how, as a head coach now versus being an assistant coach, how many hours do you spend now just in recruiting kids compared to how many hours you spent uh, you know, when you were at Coastal Carolina or when you were an assistant in Clemson and some of your other stops along the way, what kind of time do you spend now versus how much time you spent then? Yeah, very similar. 
the, the thing we hang our hat on is I recruit every one of our priority guys like I'm an assistant. That's not because I don't trust my staff. I've got one of the best staffs in the country. Uh, they're really good. But that gives us an advantage that a lot of places don't. There's not many head coaches at this level that are going to spend the time recruiting guys like that, texting, calling, FaceTime all day. And, and that gives us an advantage because they get a real relationship with me, the head coach. And that's, that's what I say all the time to them is you can have an incredible relationship with the assistant that's recruiting you. At the end of the day, there's only one dude that's going to be making the decisions. That's going to have the real plan for you. An assistant can tell you anything. I told him when I was an assistant, heck, I'd, I, would, I would say anything, to, you know, just to, to get them to come there. Sometimes as an assistant, I didn't know what that was going to be. But as a head coach, I do. You know, if you if you come in here and you work like you're supposed to work, you act like you're supposed to act, and you do everything that you're supposed to on your end, then I'm going to hold up my end. And you're going to be able to get out there and be an impact guy and have a great career here. So that's I, – I put in a lot of time, a lot. That's one thing about coaching that makes it tough is it's a lot of time away from your family. It's, yeah. a, it's a lot of time that you got to put in if you do it the right way. And then a lot of people say, talk about balance, and they'll talk about this, and they'll talk about that. You choose what you want to do in life. If, if I wanted balance, I would have done something that I work nine to five and I have the weekends off. I didn't choose that. So I, I pour everything, I pour everything that I have into this. And that's the only way I know how to, you know, recruit well, coach well, and, and win is I pour everything into it. One thing I wanted to ask you, kind of curious of, of where this originated or if it's part of your, your identity, part of your culture, part of where you grew up. You know, you have the motto, burn the boat. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and tell us where that came from and if it came from your background, how you grew up, or as you've been coaching, did you develop it over time? Yeah, burn the boat is something I'm passionate about. It's not just, you know, obviously it's on my hat here and it's on every every single thing we have is burn the boats. And a lot of places they have a mantra, a slogan, whatever, especially programs, uh, college, basketball, football, whatever. And it's just signs or shirts, you know, for us, it's how I live and it's in the proof. And I tell every kid we recruit that. And I tell our guys that all the time. And it, it came from, it obviously came from Hernando Cortez who in the Spanish inquisition, I guess, went and they went to battle and they got there and they, he didn't feel the confidence of his, of his army. And they got off the boat. They were getting ready to go on land and go to war. And he had them burn the boats. And essentially what that meant is if they were coming home, it was going to be on the, the opposition's boat uh, because it's conquer or be conquered. And it means no excuses. You got to find a way to be successful no matter what. You know, you don't have the safety net of, of making excuses, a safety net to fall back on. That's what we challenge our kids to do every day, every single day. Eliminate all excuses in your life. Focus on the mission and operate like you have no boat to go back on. You have to be successful. So there's three, I'll say, I'll go real quick. There's three instances in my life where that happened. I heard Tony Robbins say this at Clemson. When I was at Clemson, I heard him. He's a motivational speaker. He gave the talk about Cortez and he gave the whole thing. And, and it really, I grabbed a hold of it because that's what my whole career has been. When I was, when I was 21 years old, I had, only, I had volunteered at Georgetown College. The only job I could get at the time was Hawaii Pacific University. It was paying $8,000 a year. 
and I had to move all the way to Hawaii. It was the second assistant spot. So my parents thought it was crazy. Only so I was making eight thousand, and I went out there. And I ran a credit card up to six grand to survive. You know, and that was paying rent and everything else because it's so expensive out there. It paid off. I ended up back at Pikeville. And then the second one was I, I left Pikeville and got to Arkansas Fort Smith, a Division II job, good Division II job. And I'd been there two weeks, and Cliff Ellis from Coastal Carolina called. And he said, he said, hey, are you interested in interviewing for my job, an assistance job? And I always – I didn't think I'd be a Division I assistant. So I said, yeah. So I went back to my boss at Fort Smith and I asked him. I'd been there two weeks, and he told me, yeah, if you go interview for the job, you better get it. So I thought about it for, you know, a few hours that night. The next morning, I turned in my letter of resignation, drove 15 hours to Conway, South Carolina, unemployed. So I burned my boat. I didn't have a job to go back on. So I had to be great for those 48 hours interviewing and got the job. And then the last one was when I was at Clemson. I wanted to be a head coach. Um, so I was 33 years old and nickel stayed open, which is top five worst budgets in all of Division One b- basketball. Uh, we had a $1,000 recruiting budget for all year. Um, everything was, and I was coming from Clemson where we flew on jets to recruit. I mean, there was not anything that you wanted that you, you couldn't get. And my wife was not really thrilled about it. Nobody was real thrilled about it. And I took the job and I took a $90,000 pay cut from being an ACC assistant to be a head coach at Nickel State. And I bet on myself at a job that everybody said you couldn't win at. And we won a championship in year two. And then I got this job, a job that I've always really wanted. So that's that's how I live all the time. Um, just, yeah, I, you know, you know I, I just bet feel on like, yourself. you know, that motto, that drive kind of just harkens back to the grit of Appalachia, of how you grew up. You know, you talked about your family. You have, And I mentioned before, you, you really have strong family ties in London, in Laurel County. And you mentioned this when, when you were, were talking there. You, you mentioned how your family wasn't too happy when you moved away to Hawaii. Like a lot of families in Appalachia, people don't always move away. And when they do, uh, family tends to think that you're never coming back. Or, you know, it may be a little different with coaching. But I think people in Appalachia always fear that when their kids move away, they're just never going to come back. How does your, you know, family... You mentioned it before, but how'd they take it when you moved away, when you said you were going to be a head coach and you may never come back? Is that something you've thought about? Is that, I'm sure it's something that they think about. And I know that they would probably love to have you back, but can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, they've been, they've been really supportive, but it, it's really hard because I don't get to see my family very often. Um, it's very rare. My mother is really sick right now, and, and I don't get to be home very often because the job is so demanding. And uh, so it makes it hard in those in those moments. And it's made it hard over the years because I've missed out on a lot of time with my family. But they've always been supportive. I've wanted to be a coach since I was a young child. Like I've always really wanted to coach basketball. And I didn't know it would take me this far. My dream at one time was to win a state championship at at Rupp Arena as a as a coach to win a Kentucky high school basketball state championship. And and once I got to Georgetown as a volunteer, I realized I wanted to coach college basketball. And I didn't know it would take, I didn't know it would go this far. Yeah, it, it's hard. It's really hard to be away from family. And it's, it's something that a lot of days, you know, and maybe there, there's times that you, you regret it sometimes. And um, I, I do my best to, to still get home when I can to my, and my family doesn't travel very much, even before my mom started not doing too well. 
from a health standpoint, they just, you know, it's like a lot of people in London, they, they just don't travel that much. They say they like to be home. So it's, it, it really is hard, but I, I'm lucky my parents and, and all my other family have been very supportive. They, they follow us like crazy. My first few years, they kept, my mom kept telling me that, um, there'd be a high school job open up around there. And I was an assistant like Clemson sometimes. And she's like, Hey, this job open. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably on down the road a little bit too much to, to come back around there and take one of those. Well, you mentioned Rupp Arena. According to KSR, you may, you may just be in a different capacity in Rupp Arena one day. Yeah, they, they, they have those articles. I'm from Kentucky. It's, it's very flattering. And I, you know, obviously that's, you know, we, we just coach every single day as hard as we can and, and see, see what, you know, but it's a, it's a wild profession. I, I, t- I tell people this all the time, coaching college basketball is a wild profession. You don't, one year can change your life for the good or the bad. And that's coaching any collegiate level, especially when you get to this level. It, there's such a demand on winning and there's such a, there's so much with social media and the fanfare and everything that goes into it. I mean, one year can change your life. So, it's it's really it, it is humbling to be mentioned in certain articles like that. I've been fortunate, had a lot of really good coaches with me and a lot of real good players. Cause the thing the thing you don't do as a coach is win very much without really good players. Well, I'll tell you, Richie, you mentioned your family, you know, follows you. Man, I follow you too. Appalachians love to see other Appalachians succeed. I, and you've definitely been successful. I wish you all you know, wish you all the luck. Any yeah, I, I was just gonna but, say you know, I, I still live in London, unlike you two. So every everywhere I go in London, it's uh, uh, I, I say something about oh uh, my friend Richie Riley. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm related to him. Yeah, yeah, I, I, he's my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so so just know that everybody in London is proud to know you and and really proud of what you've accomplished so far in your coaching career. And look forward to to seeing what's next for you, but. I just thought it was hilarious there a few minutes ago when you were talking about your, your family and you don't get to see them often. Well, all your cousins are watching, bro. <laughs> I got, I got a lot of family in London. Yeah. It got bigger. And they do. I, I, yeah, they do. They're all, everybody's grown now. They, but they do, they, they follow really closely and we're down here by the beach too. I'll get some random calls from time to time. People stop in on their way to the beach and I'll give them a tour some some gear you know or whatever but yeah we we want any of london to come down and see us when you can i i actually got a text from a man conrad Cessna earlier today and he had to burn the boat's hat on backwards down in hilton head <laughs> with a mike bibby jersey on and, <laughs> and he sent it to me and i uh, i sent it i sent him back a picture of me and mike bibby i was with mike bibby at app state like a couple of years ago he loved it so um, that's awesome yeah, we, we want all 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 the people from, from good old London, Kentucky to, to stop in and see us play sometime. What, one question we ask, we also ask all our guests, Richie, uh, like we've said, you know, you've moved away from Appalachia, but where do you call home and, and, and why do you consider it home? What's, home? what's home to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think as many places I've lived, home is kind of where my family is. My family, my kids, and my wife. And, you know, it, it's kind of became what it is. But London, Kentucky will still always be home because that's where I spent 18 years. And it shaped me to who I am, you know. Some of the good that comes out of being from London, Kentucky, and some of the bad, just like being from anywhere, um, shapes you to 
the person that you are. I mean, I don't, I don't think I say it a lot when we're coaching our kids, you know, there's 18 years before we get these guys and those 18 years really shape you, who you are. And that's not saying that you're, you're going to change a lot and you're going to mature and you're going to be around different things. And, and, and you'll certainly have change, but those 18 years that I spent growing up in London, um, I, I wouldn't have been able to do the things that I've been able to do and continue to try to do um, without those those people that help mold me into you know the person I am that's I think that's a that's a perfect way to end uh, you know people at home always uh, shape you to into who you become so um, hopefully us us folk in Appalachia has uh, played a role in, in shaping Richie into to what he's become and um, I know I shaped Will into all he's accomplished so <laughs> Uh, I always have to take a moment to thank myself for all his accomplishments. But. And, and he thanks himself every single day. He likes to do that. <laughs> hey, you know one thing you did ask me on text that you said something about, and I thought about it. You asked why kids from Appalachia or that area come home and they don't necessarily stay, you know, and, and I thought about it. And, you know, I do think this, I think, I think there's two things. I think, I think when you're from Appalachia, where we're from, I think a lot of people end up living there. Like you live there, Neil. I think a lot of people, like when you look at people that you grew up with, a lot of them migrate back there, whether they ever left, you know, or not, whatever, they end up living there. And I think the other reason that kids from Appalachia have a, there's like a stigma that people say they go off to wherever they go and a lot of them don't make it. I think the main thing is, the ones that don't make it are magnified more because there's so few of them, you know, recruiting. I I recruit the whole country and if in Chicago or DC or where there's so many guys that come out of there. So the ones that go back, there's not, they're not under a microscope in the 12th through 16th region. There may be one division one athlete or two in a sport, especially basketball. So when they come back, I think it's magnified a lot more, if that makes sense. And yeah. I, I thought about that because it, it gets a bad rap of guys saying they can't, you know, this guy's not going to make it. They always come back. I think mm-hmm. that, I think there's just a microscope on them because there are so few, there's not a large number like you see across the country. Yeah. And I, I meant to, I meant to harbor on that. Um, just is the stigma in coaching, I hope that it's not this way, but the theory is from people inside Appalachia, the stigma in coaching is I don't want to recruit a kid from Appalachia because he's never going to pan out. He's never going to make it. He's not going to be worth my the time that I'm going to invest in him. Is that stigma real or is that something that we just kind of think in Appalachia because what you're saying is true? It just magnified so much more. For me, that's not a thing. Um, but as coaches, we recruit a lot of different areas and we've all have our own experiences and stories. So is there some coaches that have been burned by that in the past that would think that? Probably. Um, but but not for me. I, I think the big stigma, though, for me, since I've been gone from Kentucky, is where you're at recruiting, you know, like a kid from Appalachia, okay? Like the thing is, will they come that far from home? And that's kind of that's kind of a thing because, like, Western Kentucky is a good example. Like if, if a kid is good enough for us, 
then you know Western Kentucky's probably might, might be recruiting it. Would would they go there or here? You know what I mean? And I think that's a real thing. I think that's I think trying to figure that out if if they're willing to go that far away from home. Appreciate you, man. We won't keep you all night. I, I enjoyed it, boys. Well, Will, I, man, that was awesome. Uh, always good to catch up with an old friend and, and get his perspective on on things. Uh, I, I knew it was going to be great, but I really uh, – the funniest thing I have as a takeaway is just – and I know I said this earlier, but that change in that voice. I mean, he's in coaching mode all the time, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I can hear it. <laughs> he's, burning, he's burning the boats, baby. I love it. <laughs> no, but you, you talked about perspective. I think he – he really does have a dynamic perspective. I mean, to be a minority coach, uh, there, there, you know, there's challenges there in itself. But also, you know, to be an Appalachian, to be an Appalachian coach like, like he talked about, there, you know, there, there's challenges on, on that side of the fence as well. So I really truly think it, it was a dynamic perspective to hear from tonight. It was pretty, pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't know if you – can hear my phone dinging in the background but he he literally keeps texting me and saying thanks so much man I really enjoyed talking to you guys and that I, it just cracks me up because he's such a on a I appreciate him saying that of why he's thanking us <laughs> yeah yeah why are you thinking us dude we need to be like writing you a thank you card in the mail and sending it like thank you for taking the and I think it's hilarious too like he said last week he was he was on a Zoom call with Jay Billis, and now he gets us. <laughs> yeah, no. We tried to tell him we ain't, we ain't Jay Billis. <laughs> I'm sure it's very similar, though. Yeah, yeah. We got the uh, great questions that, that we ask versus uh, what Jay Billis was asking him. I don't even know what that was about, but I'm sure it wasn't near as much fun. But I guarantee can, Jay Billis didn't say Appalachia. Oh, heck no. Or I at least he didn't it. say it that way. No, no. And you know – just listening to Rich, he he's uh, you can totally see how great of a recruiter he is just in listening to him answer the questions we're asking him. And I'm not saying that he's not genuine in those things. I believe that he is. He's just so well versed in in those answers, like as if people ask him those a hundred times. He's just comfortable in his own skin and who he is, and does a great job of uh, selling his program. He definitely sounded different. I can tell you that much. <laughs> but I guess that happens. It's happened to you, too, a little bit in the places you've been and the experiences you've had. You you definitely – although I will say that a couple of people have told me over the last couple of weeks that they – when they're listening, they can't tell who's talking, me or you. Yeah, well, I'm, neither can our mom when we when I call her. If, if, it, no, if it doesn't no, come up on her caller no. ID, she doesn't know if it's me or you. Oh, I thought you. I thought you were saying mom couldn't tell when she's listening to the podcast because because oh. all she ever tells me about. Well, Will said this, and, and Will said that, and, <laughs> and Will was talking about this, and Will Will asked that question. <laughs> that was for Amy and Amber. I, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I'm going to cut all this out, right? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> That's what the people want. They want real, authentic. They know. They know our family. Yeah, like the the four listeners that that actually listen know our family, but if anyone because knows, because that's who that's who listens. Yeah, that's cool. I mean they're gonna enjoy it. Cousin, 
uncle. Maybe Richie's wife now. I'm sure, you know, she never gets to hear him talk. So she'll tune into this episode. And I failed to mention, you know, she's from Pikeville. She's an Appalachian. Uh, yeah, I totally failed to mention that while we were talking to him. He mentioned her a couple of times and <clears throat> she's from Appalachia too. So I did want to, want to say that. I wonder, wonder how her family felt uh, when she left. You know, I've heard him talk about it a little bit uh, over the years, but you know, co- close, close knit group as well. And I, I think they're both their families are very supportive of uh, the direction that, that they've chosen. And, and she, definitely understands the college basketball world. She was a player herself. She knew what she was getting into and and has been a great asset for him over the years. So uh, it's definitely a, a team effort in their house. He's got three boys as well, just like I do now. So uh, it'd be interesting over the course of, of our lifetime to to look at the opportunities and the things that his kids are exposed to versus my boys and 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 what they're exposed to the opportunities that they have you know i hope that i hope that i don't look back and say wow what how much more of advantage they had versus what my kids had but you know that kind of goes to what we're what we're talking about um is it fair for for kids inside appalachia and i i thought richie really made a great point by talking about the magnification of of people that that don't make it so it makes a whole lot of sense yeah uh, i and i agreed with that too i also just to harken back to coach hilton when he started talking about you know publicity and in the recruiting process you know sometimes opportunities are what you make of mm-hmm. them sometimes people don't know that opportunity is an opportunity until it's too late you i've heard you say before your kids may not have the opportunities that Richie's kids may have or my kids may have but I don't think that'll always be the case I I don't think that'll always be the case in Appalachia I don't I hope not I mean I, I think the internet has has definitely uh changed some of that over time there's removed some of that isolation and definitely has helped in in the I think you mentioned before self-promotion or marketing mm-hmm. or uh, getting yourself out there getting yourself looked at but you know I think every region every place has assets and assets are different everywhere you just have to figure out how to build off your own unique assets that's people that's place yeah for sure i I was greatly uh encouraged with getting a chance to to talk to richie and i think it it definitely makes for great listening for those people out there that are diving into the uniqueness uh, inside and outside of uh, Appalachia. Yeah, and I, I appreciated him being on. I I, uh, I, w- I wanted to ask you, as we do in every episode, I, I think this has been pretty positive episode in and of itself, but I uh, wanted to ask you, or, or at least start the segment of place, to see if you had anything to add here at the end of the, end of the episode, just that gives you that sense of place, anything you want to talk about tonight. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and just based on what we've kind of been covering in the world of spectrum of sport and dealing with sport and dealing with recruiting and that kind of thing, I was thinking back to when I was playing and when I was in college and how I got recruited and who I went to school with. And, you know, I only went to school two and a half hours from home. And when I got there, there were – I'm going to say there were six people from – 
Eastern Kentucky, let's say. There was six of us. And by the time uh, I got done, there there was two of us that were still playing. And I remember talking to our coach about, you know, hey, I got a, I got a young kid at such and such high school down where I'm from, or I got a, I know a coach who knows a kid that really likes what we're doing up here. If you guys talk to them and, you know, basically they just said to me, Neil, I'm going to be honest. You're one of very few that makes it from, from that area. And I was like, what do you mean that area? And they were like, look, look at the kids that came with you from Eastern Kentucky. They're no longer here. You know, that kind of, that kind of made me think, it's kind of a big deal what what a kid from Eastern Kentucky goes and does, whether he plays at a high level or a low level or whatever. You know, he's not only representing uh, his family, but he, he's representing all of Eastern Kentucky, and he's shaping what those coaches look at when they come back and try to recruit those schools in the future. You know, yeah, my I- words to, to kids now are, you know, you're setting a standard for everybody else in the region. And I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought, man, why are these guys leaving? Why, why are they going home? And I think what, what Richie was talking about and, and just what you and I have talked about, this homesickness and, and kids grow up in the middle of a, a big-time program like Coach Hilton was talking about a couple of weeks ago. And Yeah, know, they, I, think, I think that's a great way to talk about a place. I, I think Cash Daniels is a – yeah. prime example of someone that has represented Appalachia and represented Appalachia well. But for every Cash Daniels, there are a dozen that, like you said, oh, go back home. And and, yeah. and like you said, it could be homesickness. I mean, you know, family ties run deep in Appalachia. It's not always easy to move away. It's not always easy to move away from family and not everyone wants to. Yeah. And I mean, look at you, you know, you've lived all over the country and we all thought you just didn't have a heart, but I'm sure it was hard for you at times. You made a lot of sacrifices to to do different things. And I appreciate that about you, but I don't know if uh, sometimes you, you felt that appreciation because a lot of times I was mad. I, I didn't want you to do that. I wanted you to stay here, you know? Yeah. And I, I think I've said before, you know, it wasn't that I moved away just to move away I, you know I wanted to learn things I also wanted to move back you know we've already talked about this I, I haven't but it doesn't mean I don't want to it doesn't mean I don't want to be around my family it doesn't want to I don't want to be around my home but I see what you're saying it's kind of disheartening to hear that from a from a college coach that says you know we don't even look at those kids because they're from Eastern Kentucky and they're not going to make it doesn't matter that he threw 60 touchdowns last year. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter that he rushed for 3,000 yards. It, you know, he did it. Look where he did it at. You know, he, he's he's staying there. He ain't leaving. You know, there is a stigma, or at least there was then. And I, I realize that was 15, 20 years ago now. But I thought Richie did a great job of handling those questions about Appalachian kids and talked about, you know, recruiting Eastern Kentucky versus recruiting Chicago. And I get that. It makes perfect sense. And I, I don't think Richie's one of those guys that's ever going to steer away from from a certain area just because. But I think mainly that's because he's from here. He's from inside here. And right. he you know, my college coach wasn't. So it's that different perspective that not all coaches do. Yeah. So, I, you know, I like I said, he he did a great job. I can't say it enough. And my perspective is, is not always uh, the same as others. And it was just one experience that I had that I that I wanted to share. That's great. I think uh, I think we can end it 
ended on that tonight. I, I did want to mention again, if the listeners have any other ideas of who they'd like to see on the show, any topics we, that we'd like to talk about, you can always hit us up on email. It's AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook. You can hit us up. And, and also, you know, if you do like the show, follow us or subscribe. Yeah, just gives a little more exposure to the podcast. Helps us out a little bit. So if you like what you're hearing, like I said, subscribe, follow. Yeah, so I guess we can end it here. And I'll say uh, till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains